0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith.
1: I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Well, first off, I want to give uh, uh, this is not what I wanted to talk about at the top, but I do want to give a shout out to the cop who did not pull me over last night. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was I was getting on to the 101 from uh, from Chinatown, uh, from Broadway. you mm-hmm. make that left onto the 101. And it's one of those. There's a couple of these in the downtown Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've experienced this. Where I'm trying to get on the 101, but I have to get across the 110 lanes first. Yeah. And there's literally no human way, especially in heavy traffic, to get all the way across there before the line goes solid. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, yes. Yes, yeah, so I crossed over a solid line. Uh, Two seconds later, I hear... I see a cop on the shoulder now next to me and I hear him say over the loudspeaker, like don't turn to over a solid line or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, ah! and I looked and I was like, am I being pulled over? And he just like, gave me a look and then got behind me. And I was like, waiting for the lights to come on. Mm. Like, is he going to pull me over? And I was like, looking in the mirror and I even like put my hands up. Like, what are we doing? And he's then like, he, he's like, put your hands on the wheel. <laughs> right. And then he pulled over next to me and just passed me on the left and like gave me a stern look as he drove past. And I was like, okay. I guess I just got a warning.
0: This is like Marion Crane in Psycho.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, look, uh, that's, that's, if you're going to, I'm glad he didn't give me a ticket because that would, that would be like entrapment in that, that, uh, just that merging is impossible, especially when it's, when there's a lot of traffic, like on a Friday night, we're recording on Saturday. That's, Um, that's the thing. That idea of entrapment
0: that happened to me. I've only gotten one moving violation of my life. Uh, and that was in, sorry, in California, I got like one speeding ticket in Missouri, but, uh, and it was in Burbank. <laughs> There's a moment where you, you're in a lane that really feels like it should be a turn lane. Uh-huh. It is not, uh-huh. <laughs> but everything about it, including, uh, so it's like, I'm in four lanes. The only one that turns left Is the far left lane. Right. Okay. So I'm in the lane next to that. Uh Straight ahead are cars looking at me. So what happens is you have to, I guess, find some kind of way to veer into the lane next to you in order to go straight weird it's very strange and so i turned They're left because like well i don't want to hit anybody and there's a cop right there and the fact that there's a cop right there leads me to believe this probably happens a lot yeah and why and it's just like it's very counterintuitive and i felt very upset i was very i didn't i didn't blame the cop i did kind of do a little bit but like yeah uh, enough to get me out of jury duty that one time um when I That's said right, that, I, yeah. when I said I don't care for cops, uh, apologies to any cops. And I like listener cops.
1: Um, if they're listeners, they're okay. Yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, it just, I was so frustrated because it just seemed like such a Burbank thing to do, you know? And then Jen got <laughs> a ticket for jaywalking in Burbank. Did you know that?
1: No, I, I'm afraid. I hear about that a lot. And I, cause I jaywalk constantly. <laughs> I got one in NoHo just two months ago. Really? 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 Mm. I right guess it's right next to Burbank. It's they're true. trying to they're trying to emulate their big well, brother Burbank. <laughs> um yeah, I've gotten pulled over a number of times in mm. Los Angeles, but I've never gotten a speeding ticket in Los Angeles. I don't know if I'm just suave or talking way out of it, but I, I did know. get I got pulled over um for speeding in Burbank and it was like weeks before the cell phone ban went into mm. into play, and I was on my cell phone which was perfectly legal at the time, but the cop told me like, "Hey, Come July first, or whatever, get off your phone. Hmm. Uh, let's bring our guest in because I have something else I want to talk about, but I know you, Tyler didn't watch the Golden Globes, so let's bring our guest in. Uh, he's Battleship Retention's editor and large editor at large, uh, and he's one of our favorite repeat guests. Everybody, welcome Scott and I.
2: Hello, I just recently looked up a editor at large means and I'm glad it actually pertains to what I do for the site <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, now this okay we're recording so early the, the golden globes are forever ago by the time people yeah. are hearing oh, yeah. this it's ancient history um like even now it's been almost a week but um i wanted to talk about uh quentin tarantino's accepted speech for <laughs> ennio morricone and so he said that uh for those who didn't listen didn't watch including tyler yeah he said that uh he considers Ennio Morricone his favorite composer, and he said, Not just film composer, I don't want to put him in that ghetto, and then moved on. And then afterwards, Jimmy Fox came up to the mic and was like, Huh, ghetto? And I, in the moment, felt embarrassed for Jamie Foxx because I thought, oh, this guy doesn't know that that word has multiple meanings and has an <laughs> older meaning than right. black Americans and of you know right. lower income and the that sort of connotation. And it can be used metaphorically. But then a billion other people online were more on Quentin Tarantino's side or qu- more on Jamie Foxx's side that this was insensitive of Quentin Tarantino to use this word. And I guess what I want to talk about here is the fluidity of vernacular, as the term Ooh. goes. And how I might be a pedantic smarty pants who can say, well, no, that's not what that word means. But if enough people say, no, that word has that connotation now, then it does. Right.
2: No, I mean, there is that connotation, I think. But that doesn't
1: mean it's incorrect to use. Yeah. Like, but, but, but but was it insensitive of him not to acknowledge that connotation when using that word? I mean, the thing is, I guess I it wouldn't have occurred to me to acknowledge that connotation. I would use that word right. in the metaphorical sense that Quinn Turner used it uh, freely because I don't think like that. But, I, that, you know, that's also my white privilege uh, to a certain extent, not having to think about what that word means. I would have liked if uh,
0: Roman Plansky was in the audience and said, uh, hey, buddy, <laughs> Uh Maybe it would be a little sense,
1: uh, sensitive to the polls here. <laughs> right. I assumed composers would get upset, if anything. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of options there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess what I'm saying is words change over time and what they used to mean. Like, I, I for a while, I loved to be the guy who was like, eh, that's not actually what begging the question means. Mm. But if most people who use begging the question use it to mean raising the question, which is not what it meant originally, um that is what it means now, right? That's how vernacular works.
2: Right? Yeah, I mean, I disagree with you in principle, but I've learned to accept it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I, like inescapable. What what frustrates me about this is that it
0: no it doesn't I def, I definitely understand what you mean and I'm 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 bored with you, except in this case it does mean both. There are plenty of people that use ghetto a very specific way. And you know, you and I will often talk about ghettoizing comedy often uh, in, in a conversation about the Golden Globes as they sort of do that, but at least they're celebrating it. Um, but then they're awarding the Martian Best Comedy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they find th- any excuse th- to not actually award a comedy in yeah, Best yeah. Comedy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah, that ghetto thing is not the most offensive thing to have happened to <laughs> the Golden Globes. But, uh, you know, and so if that's the situation where it's like, okay, yes, I recognize that culturally it does mean this one, th- it does mean this thing, but it didn't stop meaning the other thing if it stopped completely well then okay. that's, that's ne- cuz now it means two things and if somebody But does means-
1: the connotation cuz i was talking about this with my wife and she was talking about it in terms of the confederate flag mm-hmm. and that she recognizes and i recognize and i probably you guys recognize especially um, you used to live around a lot of hicks tyler <laughs> 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 but not in a confederate state so that was a wasted yeah. joke yes, um, thanks, yeah. like i recognize what the confederate flag means to a lot of white people with southern roots and that mm-hmm. it, to them it is a much more complex thing than that. Yes. But if the more accepted connotation of the confederate flag is a one thing and b that thing is hurtful, mm. should that take precedence? Should we should we stop to consider like hey maybe I should find a better word than ghetto because even though I might not mean it that way, it uh, that, that word stings for a lot but of people. But also,
2: is anybody saying the ghetto in any sense is a good thing? Isn't he still, grammatically speaking, using the word correctly?
1: Well, yes, he is. But I think um, when you hear people talk about... I think the word ghetto, because people talk about, uh, you hear people say something about like, oh, my car's broken down. Like it's so ghetto, it's or so whatever it becomes like when it's, it becomes a casual thing that can be hurtful to people who actually maybe grew up in what you would consider a ghetto. And then yeah. it sort of the term ghetto, um, like the, the more recent term ratchet sort of gets, um, blindly applied to blackness in a lot of ways that I think is uh, harmful and probably gives people a lot of cause to object against using those those terms. But and I'm, so I think that's why the word carries with it some thorniness that Quentin Tarantino might have not meant at all. It certainly didn't mean at all. But my question is, should he have considered it? I guess, but what I'm saying is that even in the construction <laughs> of saying, like, I want to put him in
2: that ghetto, I don't think he's... Like, there's nothing in that sentence that would connotate the black experience
1: in America. No, I... And I'm with you. That's not what I'm that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying is the has the word become too much of a landmine? I mean that might be, but trying to avoid every single landmine and this is
2: something I'll get into later.
1: But yeah. I I think about this, um there's a word I don't like if I'm going to refer to a person as being uh, a wimp or a coward or mm-hmm. weak or right. something, I won't call that person a pussy because that word has connotations of me saying that if i'm if i'm saying a man is a pussy i'm saying he is womanly whereas i listen to a Lex valley podcast which is the only slate podcast i can stand and even then not all the time Okay. Um, (laughs) because i'm not a big enough snob to like the slate podcast anyway um and Lex valley did a podcast about the origins of like the different slang versions of the word pussy Mm -hmm. and like referring to a Soft or cowardly or weak man as a pussy actually apparently predates the idea of huh. pussy being hmm. a slang for a vagina, but the connotation has taken over to the point where that distinction is in the no. past. It doesn't matter anymore. And so if once that... you associate a word with a <laughs> vagina <that laughs> or any <will> genitals be... <laughs> in general, yeah, yeah. right. Um, so so I still don't use that word in that way. Um, and I guess I'm uh, I've been thinking since the Golden Globes should I. Should I treat the word ghetto with kid gloves, too? No. <laughs> uh, but uh, we are all we, like, I know, you, I think I know you don't like this term, but we do all possess white privilege here. So it's easier for us to say no, because we are not the p- people who are having things brought up or no, I'm not being even saying, hurt by that word.
2: I'm not even saying no, though. I'm saying like in the context of the yeah, with like a car breaking down or like all pretty much any use of that. So ghetto always just reeks of white privilege, frankly, and just like right is trying to like you know, make you see more street or whatever. It's always dumb, but it is a word that has other meanings and you can use words for m- multiple meanings. And I think in the context in which he used it, a thinking person with a knowledge of what that word means can s- extrapolate. Had he said,
1: but as, so you're saying Jamie Fox have, is not a thinking person. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I saw Ray. Um,
0: so had, uh, tarantino said and everybody would totally understand why he would say it if he had said the golden globes are a ghetto version of the oscars uh-huh. if yeah. he had said that that would have been offensive that's a bit more offensive yeah uh and and, and at that point jamie fox i think has more of an argument but he so it has two terms it it has two <laughs> definitions one means cheap and crappy and poor and all of that and to say that you're you're sort of it's a sh- it's it's a, a shorthand that sort of maybe diminishes certain things, mm-hmm. but the other thing is to separate to one thing and sequester yeah. and keep it in one very small limited box, which yes does also have a very specific association uh, for some people from you know some seventy years ago, but that that term is broad enough that can I can always be used for that and he used it in that context very specifically and even and the fact I,
2: that he said that ghetto and not the ghetto yeah, <laughs>
0: right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know what here's the thing though i wonder if anybody else had used that term and not quentin tarantino who will regularly incorporate the n-word into his uh, <laughs> into his films would right. people be quite so angry
1: ah that's a good point that's you know? a good point i don't know i i feel like i'm with you guys in terms of like that he should be allowed to, but I also am maybe more than you guys more, uh, have more of a tendency to, um, uh, worry about my white privilege (laughs) and to maybe, uh, leash myself a little bit. Well, and here's, and the thing is this,
0: uh, I will, I'll piggyback on something you were saying earlier in regards to the Confederate flag. Now, though I did live in a non-Confederate state, they don't, They didn't seem to know that, uh, (laughs) down there. Um, and I saw, I saw a fair number of Confederate flags on people's cars. Now, undoubtedly, this is
1: in in Southwestern Missouri. Yeah. Southern. Yeah. Southern Missouri. Yeah. Um, slave state, uh, but not a Confederate state. Yeah. (laughs) Just the worst of both. (laughs) worlds. Um,
0: so, uh, anyway, um, so I saw it all over the place, and, and I definitely developed an opinion about it myself. Uh-huh. And it's just like, well, look, I recognize that for you, you're not thinking in terms of slavery. You're thinking in terms of Dukes of Hazard. I don't know which one is the worst thing. <laughs> but, but the thing that got me—so as, as you said, it's just like you recognize that for some people, it means so much more than just this one thing. And it's a lot more complex, but in the broader sense. And my vote— And we talked about this last week, actually, in regards to the Oscars and that sort of thing. My, my personal vote is to engage the complexity and not necessarily the broad, because when you, if you have enough people engage in the complexity, you will get a lot more understanding, uh, from everybody involved, you know, uh, because if you actually hear out why a person believes something, even if it's something that I vehemently disagree with, uh, it's like oh okay they're not doing this at me they're not doing this to piss me off they're not doing this to hurt anybody they're doing this because of this This is their personal association with it and my guess is if you hear somebody out uh, and this is not always the case but if you hear somebody out uh, in regards to why they're doing something they might be more willing to understand that what they have done can also be seen another way that's, and
1: maybe they'll take it down, maybe they won't, but... That's the point I always you know. try to make. Yeah. I think, uh, I remember, um, this wasn't on our show, but one of our past guests, um, Jesse Thorne, mm-hmm. um, once, uh, I, I can't remember who was on one of his podcasts, What one other thing about why it's never, it's never helpful to call someone a racist. But to right. say, that thing you did, or that thing you said, yeah. I think that was racist and here's why, is much... Uh, is a a much more constructive way of making actual change. So I'm all for hearing people out by. So on that note, if you um, have opinions on the word ghetto, and especially if you are a black, an African American who listens to this podcast, I would really like to hear um, that point of view. Indeed. Um, So post it in the comments. Please do. All right. And
0: feel free. If you disagree with me, you can call me a racist if you want. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: But uh, okay. So now real quick, we have to get to our sponsor. <laughs> I don't think we said anything horrendously offensive. No, I, like think I we had I, an awesome. We, we encourage uh, constructive dialogue. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you, here's something super constructive movie. Um, this episode is indeed brought to you by MUBI. It is a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Movie's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to Movie.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash battleship to redeem now and i will say uh i myself now subscribe to movie and i love it i'm I'm
1: a big fan of it all right we're not just yeah we're not just spokesmen indeed we're fans yeah i'm Uh, not just the president i'm also a member that's
0: that's you're actually only one of those things yeah
1: <laughs> but that was the hair oh i forgot for to tell you i, I work for <laughs> movie now and they made me their president um, <laughs> i think uh, it might
0: be some kind of tax dodge i don't know exactly <laughs> but, um.
1: you know what we're also fans of what's that is uh, the earbuds you can get over there tweaked tweakedaudio.com. they do look great they do sound great uh, we use them on the reg. They are um, <laughs> available. Speaking of something that means two things, <laughs> <laughs> they are available <laughs> at a low low price. Um, and if you uh, at the at checkout use the offer code pretension, you'll get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com dot com offer code a pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed, we are. Well, are we kicking off our um, lead up to the Oscar uh, podcast coverage? Uh, Weren't the
2: nominations in some way a lead-up
1: to the... I guess they were, yeah. (laughs) That's the definition of leading up to the Oscars. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've been... So by
0: the time this goes up, the BP nominations have been announced. (laughs) uh, And then we've been posting a couple of people's uh, top ten lists uh, for the year. And so we'll be posting one every five or six days. Wait,
1: is that true? Has the first list gone up yet? It has. By the time this goes up, yes. Correct. Okay. I thought there were some... I think you guys had a conversation, uh, without, by money. the time <laughs> this episode goes up, it'll have been up for a week. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, we are here to talk about Scott's top 10 movies of 2015. Why not? Right. That, that is what we're here for. Yeah.
2: Right? That. Okay. <laughs> okay. You just show up here and like,
1: <laughs> what's going on. I had this thing about the word ghetto that I really want to talk about after that. I'm, I'm going to coasting. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to
2: check out after that. <laughs> All right, Scott. Wow us. <laughs> well, I wanted to briefly just talk about the year overall. I think it was a very strong year. I don't know if you guys agree. Or I disagree. agree. I do. Um, I myself, I mean, anytime you assess whether it's a strong year or weak year, it's based off what you've seen. You know, somebody said there was something like 630 movies released theatrically in the U.S. this year. So all of us are seeing a small fraction of that, moreover. Uh, But this year, I really tried to focus on what I saw. I didn't just see stuff as reflexively as I used to. So I skipped stuff like Chappie uh, was the one I've been going back to again and again. Um, I also
1: skipped Chappie. I saw (laughs) Tyler took that bullet. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, I saw some junk along the way, but I tried to see less of that. And I still saw just as many movies. So I feel like on the whole, I saw better movies. So whether or not this is truly a better year, I couldn't say. But it feels like the strongest year since maybe 2011.
1: See, I'm um, glad you brought that up because I just made the comment on our last movie journal mm. that 2011 is like a stealth, low key, good movie year. Like people at the time I was about raving it. about it. It was and I think I was, yeah. too. But um, and I think the reason I also say best year since 2011, because so I keep a list of the movies that I've seen over the year. I keep two lists. I keep one yeah. in the order that I saw them. And the, and then I have a list that's essentially my best of it's every movie I saw that was released in 2015. From my favorite to my least favorite. And as I see new movies, I insert it in the list. And, you know, I'll do a little bit of tweaking and rearranging of stuff if I revisit something or something in my memory, you know, grows or diminishes. Uh, And both in getting to the end of 2015, I have the same experience that I had toward the end of 2011, where every time I put a new movie in my top 10, I'm mourning the things yeah. that keep getting bumped out of my top yeah. ten. And I think that's the sign for me of a good movie year. When I, when I have so many things that could, uh, in, an, in another year, um, be a top ten. I was talking with I was talking with friend of the show,
0: Jason Eakin, last <coughs> night. And we were talking about 2015 being a good movie year. And I was looking at my top 30. And it is a solid top 30. I'd say my top 33 are movies that I either really like or genuinely love. And there's and yeah, I I mourn a solid seven or eight movies that did not make my top ten. If I yeah. could extend my top ten to eighteen, which I recognize defend uh, you know defeats the purpose, um, then yeah, I feel like this is the strongest year we've had in a while. I feel like
2: 2012 was a very strong year, but the more I look back on it, I I agree with you. At the time, I was a little shaky, but hmm. I've gone back. I keep the letterbox list of every year. Yeah, and that one has really stayed very strong.
1: Can I real quick read my? top 10 from 2011. This is not necessarily as it aired when we did our top 10. Yeah, okay sure. The Mill and the Cross, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, House of Pleasures, Margaret, The Loneliest Planet, The Future, Weekend, The Tree of Life, Take Shelter, and Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. That's, that's a solid look. That's a hell of a, a, a top 10 there. And that's not uh, even including some things like Pina that came out that year and A Separation, I Wish, Martha Marcy May Marlene, your, uh, Attack the Block, it's a lot of a dangerous method I think I was a bigger fan of than uh, some of the people. But um, 2011, good year. Here's my 2011. <laughs> this is fun. Oh, it's
0: looking back, David, it's yeah. fun. Uh, 10 was Entrance, and then Certified Copy, and then Win-Win, Super, Margaret, Martha, Marcemi, and Marlene, We Need to Talk About Kevin, Take Shelter, The Tree of Life, and Moneyball, which I recognize I like more than you guys, but it is a film I think about a lot.
1: Moneyball's you got yours? Great. I'm trying to find it. Okay. That's vamp. Okay. What what, what else came out in twenty eleven? So what's in the news today? Let's see, the, uh, oh, Melancholia was a twenty eleven film that I, I really need to like. see that again because um, I was I
2: I'm very strongly
1: attracted to Kirsten
2: Dunst and I was a little <laughs> distracted going into the movie, but I, um, I remember really liking it. The time. I like the
0: idea that you come away from Melancholia but like, man, that was hot.
1: You know that what I love? Movie from twenty eleven. What's that? Um, now I, I think like most film fans I'm a Pedro Almodovar fan but I think I like this skin I live in more than your average Almodovar hmm. fan I think that's I would put that closer to his top tier than I think I think other people think of it as a I don't know lesser I'm a little Almodovar. down on it myself to be honest that's right. a weird structure that doesn't quite work I'm almost there okay what else we got uh, The Innkeepers was 2011 Jiro Dreams of Sushi Young Adult um, Bernie 444 The Last Day on Earth it's a good movie Goon Everybody Bernie was your 2011, I, I believe. I could not stand Goon. Um, okay, top ten. Whoa, hang
2: on. I had it for one second. Okay. <laughs> um, my number ten was Girl Lock All Day. You guys ever see Girl Lock All
1: Day? Yeah, I did not, Oh, my God, it's the best. Yeah, it's uh, right
2: here. Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. Uh, Green, the Sophia Tikal movie. Uh, the Deep Blue Sea. Oh, yeah. Mm. The Loneliest Planet. Yeah. Killer Joe. We Need the Pooh. Come on. Uh, and
0: It's so weird to think that that movie is as old as it is now. Like, it's still very fresh in my mind.
2: So great. Uh, the Turin Horse. I say Margaret because the director says Margaret. Mm. Uh, uh, okay. And The Tree of Life.
1: All right. See? Good year, 2011. But the character in the
0: film says Margaret. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Maybe, maybe he's saying that the character is really pretentious. Could be. Mm. But yeah, it's. Uh, but this is. I feel like this is maybe the best movie year since 2007. Um, yeah, which, it's- I mean, there's some great, like 2013 had some wonderful things, but a small number like her is great inside. and Davis is great. I'm a big fan of enough said, um, there was a lot of great movies in 20. Well, sorry. There were, I think there were fewer great movies, But the degree to which they were great was pretty high.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was most years I stand by my top five pretty strongly that year. I only had three, the top three that I was like all about. And the rest I was like, okay, these are good. Yeah.
0: So um, so if this movie, if this year is so good, Uh then Scott, your top 10 must be amazing. Do you have a bottom? Do you have a bottom 10?
2: Uh, I I need to put that together for the site. Okay, I don't have 10 yet. I have a couple that i absolutely hate that I know will be on there but, oh, I don't, but I don't can ten. you say one yeah you want to give us a, a I'll give you the most ex- I'll give you the hottest take in the ten <laughs> uh which is the documentary Amy oh, <laughs> oh that is a hot take watch out watch out <laughs> which is supposedly trying to get us on her side and feel bad for the way the uh, paparazzi treated her only to use all of their footage to the exact same end that they were using it which is just to make us feel closer to her that is That's the point that exactly Josh him brilliant
0: said, yeah, yeah. How very interesting, but you don't know that because that, that episode hasn't aired yet.
2: Yeah, listeners, that was my own hot take. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know what you will not be voting for for Best Documentary oh God, for the no. <laughs> um, So yeah, in that spirit, I do have a quick list of runners up okay. that I'd like to go through. If any jump out to you, we can touch on them. But uh, The Look for Silence, Chirac, Results, Tangerine, Hard to Be a God, Mad Max Fury Road, Irrational Man, The Hateful Eight, The Night Before, Fort Tilden, and When Evening Falls on Bucharest or Metabolism, which finally had a theatrical release this year.
1: So that's how because you, you mentioned a couple that When Evening Falls on Bucharest and Hard to Be a God that are like 2013 yeah, films 30. in terms of their like initial, you know, release in their home countries that are copyright or whatever. Right. But they are 2015 films because that's when they got American release.
2: Yeah, I have a needlessly <laughs> complex system where for the end of the year list, I do U.S. theatrical. But then for my letterbox list, that goes back to the home country. OK. <laughs> Because otherwise, it's just too much. Cause I'll just lose stuff along the way. There'll be stuff that I'll never get on my year in top 10 if I don't stick with theatrical for that.
1: Yeah. Because, mm. yeah, again, When Evening Falls on Bucharest, you and I saw that in nope. like 20... Yeah, at this point, 13? over two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over two years ago. Okay. Uh, but I'm glad that... that David, has... you saw it, and then you said, Tyler, we should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad that, that one has grown on you. Yeah, big time. Because I, I haven't you... even seen it again, but there's yeah. something about it. it stuck with me. Yeah. All right. Um, what else? Uh, I'm trying to think if there was your runners up, they feel like there was something else I wanted to say and I can't remember what it was. There are a couple that, that jumped out to me. Um, I,
0: I'm kind of alone in my, I, it's not even a dislike, but, a uh, sort of a vague disappointment in results. I really? wanted to like it so much more than I, the three lead, the three performances are great. Yeah, and it's it was great seeing and it's great seeing Guy Pierce in that type of role, and that the film took him seriously. Like for a long time,
2: I just felt like it's are they making this guy into a joke? Uh, but they're not. Yeah, and toes that line rather well on the whole. Of, yeah, like the people can be ridiculous and we can laugh at them a little bit, but yeah, in the end, it takes him seriously. Yeah,
0: um, I think that one of the things that I that bothered me about it is just how much like how Kevin Corrigan just sort of. Dis- just vaporizes <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can see that. that like especially because he's sort of our not merely our endpoint, but like he's somebody that I feel like I definitely relate to and then for the film to just be like all right we're done with him he was just we're just using him to get to the two more attractive interesting people <laughs> but I still found him plenty interesting so that's the thing that bothered me a lot but there's a lot of a lot of good in there. Like it's, it's kind of amazing. And, but I, I feel like you like
2: it more than almost anybody else I know. I, I mean, it's the same reason I like screwball comedy. I like movies about people chasing what they think is like their life purpose Mm -hmm. and running around in circles, chasing that. And they, and kind of shrugging and, and, kissing somebody <laughs> it's very appealing
0: <laughs> I feel like that might be one of the most depressing views of life I've ever heard just I find it rather uplifting just ah, you walk around and you're running around nothing happening for you so like ah, what the hell you're standing next to me I guess I'll kiss you, you gotta find the good where you can I guess so it's <laughs> just a shrug uh and then um
2: now David and I disagree on the hateful eight it sounds like you you enjoyed it I loved it yeah okay um and that is I didn't really want to get into this too much, but I think it was a rather depressing year as far as the uh, the world of film discussion. I felt like there was a lot of like drawing lines on ideological grounds and not encouraging a conversation. You know, for the past like six years or so, liberals have all been about like having the conversation. I consider myself a liberal myself, and I consider the conversation very productive, as we said before. But this year it's been like, no, this is racist, this is sexist, and that's the end of the conversation. And I think it's no wonder that The Hateful Eight has gotten some strong backlash.
1: Well, that hasn't just been liberal movie fans, That's liberals all over have uh, have taken to shutting people down as opposed to having the conversation. It's a... it's embarrassing, <laughs> yes. honestly, and it's uh, infuriating. I think and it's kind of great. Uh, you guys <laughs> go ahead and just eat yourselves.
2: <laughs> and so, yeah, well, movie- yeah
1: we're uh, we learned it by watching you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is your brain on conservatism. <laughs> and so for a movie like Hateful Eight, which draws no conclusions out of the hatefulness within it, uh, I'm not surprised
1: that the backlash has been so severe. My problems with the movie don't have to do with the racism, we're just with the sadism. <laughs> Yeah, I love the season. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that surprises me because I feel like you're not like a guy who's usually into like uh, gory horror movies, right? No. Or you don't watch a lot of action movies. I don't Oh, I think. like action movies. You a do lot. like action movies. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, guess, uh, I, I, I guess I remember you saying that you weren't into gangster movies. Um, oh, when we yeah. We talked about legend. Um, <laughs> that is
2: also where that has new connotations. So we're talking about classical gangsters of yeah. the, uh, you know, suit and uh, Tommy okay. gun variety. Oh, there we
1: go. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm surprised that you were uh, not as turned off by how <laughs> ugly and gory and, and gruesome and grisly the Hateful Eight hate is like I was. Well, I, ha- I was hoping you're going to say grisly. I was very excited <laughs> that you did. It is. It is grisly. It has such a strong structure, though, and
2: is so much about the way that uh, this sort of sadism has stomped out any sort of decency in certain respects of U.S. culture. Um, and on that level, I really appreciated its level of sadism.
1: I only liked it when it was funny. Cause there's, there's some parts that are really darkly comic. Yeah. There's like someone vomits blood in someone else's face. And I <laughs> oh, thought, like, laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah. And there's a part with a severed arm sort of flinging around that yeah. I laughed out loud at. So when it's funny, I liked it. But like, and that's the thing, even in the moment of vomiting blood in somebody's face, the
0: person vomiting blood is about to die. And it's someone we like. It's one of the only sort like, I, uh, yeah. I didn't, didn't love <laughs> him. It's, it's, it's arguable. He's the but
2: closest like, to a likable guy. Yeah, of he's the, the closest. Age.
0: He at least, he has some kind of code. Yeah. And that <laughs> right. at least, that's something of, a, of an anchor. Somewhat admirable, yeah. You know, and so, uh, and so it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is a terrible thing that is happening. Uh, and yet, why am I chuckling?
2: Like, yeah. And just bad. the fact that the movie plays on multiple tones like that. Like, I have read some goddamn Hateful aid article where it's <laughs> like, movies make or people laughed at moments that I thought were horrifying. And yes, you can have multiple responses to pieces of art. Yeah. It's perfectly legitimate.
1: Yeah. I remember having this conversation with our old roommate when he mm-hmm. went with us to see Land of the Dead, which oh, has yeah. a couple of really funny. There's look. There's a top three in cinema. Three funniest people getting shot in the head scenes. All right. One is Land of the Dead. There's about five movies vying for it, though. Okay. My top three, in no particular order. Okay. Land of the Dead, when Dennis Hopper essentially says, hey, what's that over there? And shoots (laughs) the guy in the back of the head. Um... Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Okay, when he's doing the Rush Roulette and uh, gets really unlucky. And then the number, this one is ranked. Number one, with a literal bullet, (laughs) is White Boy Bob falling and shooting himself in the head in Out of Sight. Holy, you can't,
0: You can't beat it. I don't yeah. care what you do, Pulp Fiction. You cannot beat that because no one expected that. I remember seeing, watching a movie on video with uh, our, our old friend Matt Bennett, uh-huh. and we were watching, and we just, you know, it's like, and we're both enjoying the movie, and then that happens, and our response is George Clooney's. which is just like, um. <laughs> and like, he and I, like, paused. We had to pause the movie <laughs> so that we could react to it. And the reaction was a slow building hysterical laugh. Yeah. But it, it took a moment.
1: I, I saw it in a theater and I'm pretty sure I was the only person <laughs> who laughed. <And laughs> do, do you know the, the scene we're talking about?
2: Uh, uh, I good. vaguely remember it. Okay. But I, I'm more laughing at that feeling of being the only person laughing at something
0: <laughs> kind of horrifying. But I will say it's probably not because those people didn't find it funny. It is probably because they're like, Whoa. <laughs> right. What? What it just happened? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Okay, sorry, we can move on. Where were we? Sure, uh, we can get into the top ten, where I'll also have... Oh, right, I forgot,
1: your number ten wasn't hateful. I know.
2: (laughs) Um, I'll also have some thematically uh, linked uh, honorable mentions throughout. Um, So my number ten is Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas (sighs) Vinterberg. And... This was a movie that I saw. I barely caught it in theaters, it, even though it stuck around for quite a while. Those old people love those old timey costume movies. Um, so I, I saw this uh, when there's an instantly new and big my top 10. Like we said earlier, was one of those that I felt I feared was going to get knocked out by all these great movies that kept coming out. Um, but I, in the end, I couldn't not put it in there. Uh, I absolutely just swooned over every moment of it. Carrie Mulligan is one of my favorite working actresses and just to see her basically process any emotion on screen automatically gets me. I think she has a real sense of genuine wistfulness in the way her character is ascending in society, but missing out on other opportunities. I feel like she carries it with her rather well. And then for her to get carried away in this affair, um, and her to regret the extent to which she gets carried away, I just think she carries the movie so well and is a true collaborative effort. The cinematography by uh, I have her name down here somewhere. Charlotte Bruce Christensen is gorgeous. It looks at times very much like a moving painting. Um, So, yeah, I just felt like this was one that really came together in a really beautiful way and which I was greatly moved
1: by. I am also a big fan of period costume romances. Uh, I find that to be increasingly true as I get older. Uh, and I was very, very excited to see Far From That in crowd. And I will agree with you about the cinematography and also uh, shout out to the costumes. Um, but I didn't it didn't rope me in because I feel like the characters actions are motivated more by the necessity of moving these romantic pieces around the board mm-hmm. than by what I think they actually would feel i i guess uh, you know she, the the guy who's like the bad guy for her who does end up being uh, a bad dude yeah but he's the only one that i could like realistically see her being attracted to the other two were such snores
2: really <laughs> yeah i mean michael sheen sure is certainly playing up uh the prissy british guy that he sometimes plays often yeah. actually um but uh, I, I think that Matthias uh, Schoenerts, is that how you say his last name?
1: Uh, I would go with Schoenerts. Schoenerts, all right. But I don't uh, know if that's true. That's just my guess.
2: I think he carries himself quite well. and
1: uh, I think. I also don't like that character because I find him to be, a, and maybe this is just very, you know, me looking with modern eyes, but I find him to be kind of a patronizing character who's always, he's always insisting to her that he knows what's best for her more than she does, I feel like. And yet, when I, the, I feel like the movie doesn't want us to be Turned off or uh, by that, or or to see him as arrogant when he is pretty arrogant.
2: But I think right from the beginning, it introduces that we should we should doubt his um, the extent to which he feels like he knows what's best for anybody. Because the first basic scene with him is him proposing marriage to her, right? And like the next scene is his farm completely collapsing and him being homeless, right? Um, right, that's true. So just that fact gives it enough complexity throughout. I kind of I see where you're coming from, though, um, but I feel like. Because he's, frankly, a very attractive man and uh, and has a lot of masculine energy, I can see Mm -hmm. why she's attracted to him. And I see the relationship play out uh, just in the way they look at each other in very convincing ways. I'll agree in some respects that it's kind of have the Wikipedia plot summary problem of the Uh scripting, (laughs) where it's like trying to condense this 400-something page novel. And so it's like, we got to hit these beats,
1: man. Maybe that's what it is. That's a good point. Have you read it? No, I haven't. But you can feel
2: the sense in which it's like, okay, we got to get through this. Right. And you didn't see it? I did not see it, not yet.
1: But uh, yeah, Thomas Vinterberg, because I, I, I also didn't like The Hunt, which I know I I'm in the minority on that, but uh, I feel like I'm just falling out of love with that guy after uh, Celebration. I didn't see that either. Oh. He likes his A-movies, huh? What's that? Oh, <laughs> uh, something. No, Celebr- it's the, Celebr- the Celebration. The Celebration, okay. okay. Yeah, and The Hunt, and yeah. far from the madding crowd, or as the woman on DirecTV says, far from the maddening crowd. Oh yeah. <laughs> when it was on, like I had like the direct TV, like the, whatever the channel that advertises what you have no. on pay-per-view and it would just be like cycling. And, uh, as she would say it more than once. Yeah. Far from the maddening crowd. It's like, no pr- one thought to, how appropriate that the word she is getting wrong is what she is doing to you. <laughs>
2: all right uh, um, we can move on i guess yeah i'll just quickly mention a few honor roll mentions here as well because this has been a big year for discussing the role of women in film and just not only behind the camera but in telling women's stories and i feel like this is a really strong year for period pieces about women uh, female desire mm-hmm. and so besides that we also have beloved sisters amor
1: fu how ha cinderella and crimson peak okay i um because of my rules, beloved sisters <laughs> is a 2014 film. Did you see it? Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. got that Blu-ray.
2: Woo! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Number nine is Christian Petzl's Phoenix, another movie that I know David does not like. Yeah, this is this is going to be a theme. <laughs> no, I'm sure we'll and pick this, up eventually. But this is, is going to be an I, interesting episode. I'm in the minority
1: on because everyone loves this movie. It's great, and it's another. I'm. It, I, I don't. I don't mean to step on your toes, but I'm. No, it. I'm normally a guy who who is willing to overlook um, plotting or character problems if a movie's presentation, because right. I tend to uh, favor that more. But the, the second he doesn't recognize her, I think I was, I was checked out of the movie because I, I, it was just too much for me to buy. Even though we don't know what you look like before, because uh, the, for the uh, listeners, the movie
2: is about right. a, a woman in post-war Berlin. She has been found in a concentration camp with her face Essentially she was, decimated. She was shot in the face. That's right. Yes. Um, and so we, the first scene we see her and she's completely bandaged up, and she gets reconstructive surgery. She's trying to look as much like her old herself, but I don't even know if reconstructive surgery technically existed in the 1940s, but right. if it did, it couldn't have been that top notch. And so she does end up looking differently. She goes to find her husband in post-war Berlin, and he doesn't recognize her. And she, he's trying to use
1: her to get his... But he recognizes that she looks like, like her. his... Yeah ex-wife and i guess that's or, or his wife and i guess that's i guess i i understand like the it works sort of metaphorically about where his head is at i think that he's in, maybe the you know there's some hints perhaps that he's intentionally not recognizing her i think because he's very to much forget, so and i get that but i just think i just i guess it just i look at my wife and i think if she didn't have a face <laughs> I would. There, there's enough other things about her that I think I would recognize, and I, I I just couldn't get past it. I will agree with everyone who's saying that the final scene is a is a stunner. It's a jaw dropper. Yeah.
2: Um. I I will say to that point that I think the movie largely works allegorically, which is not my favorite mode for a movie to work in, but because it was such strong melodrama along the way, it passed off self off well. But I think it's also largely about um, the sense of denial of your evil doing because he's done some bad stuff in the past. We end up learning. Um, and so there's somewhat of an allegory in there for, uh, the German attempt to recover in post-war right. Berlin and trying to put the past behind them, even the people who were directly responsible and trying to constantly deny what they've done. Um, so I think his response to her, I don't think it's as purposeful as that because I genuinely think he's blocked out any possibility that he could recognize her. Right. Given the way he reacts. And I guess it's giving a lot of way, but given the way he relaxed in the final scene, um, But yeah, so I think there's such strong, there's a a larger
1: truth anchoring that character that I feel like passes it off pretty well. All right. I can't argue with it. Yeah. (laughs) You can't argue with uh, no accounting for taste. No, that's not what what I meant to say. (laughs) It is a recent
0: uh, BP nominee for best foreign film. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, there's uh, some things just strike people the wrong way. And there's a part of me that like really wants to revisit Phoenix because so many people like it so much. That I feel like maybe I wasn't in the right headspace. Hmm. Uh, And I loved Christian Petzold's last film, Barbara. Yeah, see, I didn't like that one as much. So it might be (laughs) an essential divide. Right. Um,
2: I will say it is on Netflix for people who haven't seen it. Far from the Madden Crowd, is on Blu-ray and Amazon streaming and stuff. Um, My honorable mention for Phoenix is The Kindergarten Teacher, which is an Israeli movie that is also largely allegorical, but is just incredible and constantly left me guessing. Um, And number eight, Michael Mann's Black Hat.
0: Which I, got to say I, I and nobody saw. I think you saw it <laughs> and
2: then it left theaters. That's pretty much true. Yeah. Um, I have not been a Michael Mann fan for pretty much as long as I can remember. I haven't seen all his films. I haven't seen The Insider or Ali or Manhunter or a few others, but I don't like heat. I don't care for public enemies or uh, what do you do for that? Miami Vice is OK. Collateral is OK
1: um I did you, like you and i like the opposite Michael because <laughs> i don't like my advice or collateral but i love public enemies i like heat i love manhunter haven't were, seen were you uh, scott were you at the movie night when we watched thief that's right i've did come around a back? bit on
2: thief but okay. i still I, I can't totally get with it but actually i revisited thief after seeing black Hat, which is so like primal michael man that i feel like it unlocked the rest of his films for me kind of hmm. So I've gone back and revisited Miami Vice, which left me changed a little bit on it. Same with Thief. Um, so I'm interested to check out, especially Public Enemies again, which has some... That shootout in the woods is like incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Black Hat is about a bodybuilder uh, hacker who the FBI gets released from prison so they can help him catch another hacker who is blowing up nuclear plants and throwing the world's stocks asunder. Um But is, of course, as it is with most Michael Mann films, is about a very masculine man coming to terms with the fact that he has feelings, too. Um, (laughs) But it's so I, I think he's been working in digital cinema since collateral, basically. And I think this one is the one where the content finally works with the form, since it's all about this digital environment. And so he really gets at this feeling that they're just surrounded and Infused with technology, there's no like separate world between the two. It's all f- coursing through them, and you know Chris Hathaway, Chris Hemsworth character, or Nick Hathaway rather, um, is the one best suited to navigate it because he's so lithe and so skilled in every way. Um, and just aesthetically, it's just gorgeous. The plot is kind of all over the place, and there are technical things about it that don't make a lot of sense. Some people have said he's probably going deaf because the sound levels are all over the place in the dialogue, (laughs) which in some scenes works. It feels like the characters are almost communicating like telepathically. But in other scenes, like Chris Hemsworth's voice will get much louder all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, did anyone soundcheck this at all? Um, But there's enough beauty in the rest of it. And especially towards the end where the final showdown takes place in this like religious parade where people are marching with torches through the street and Chris Hemsworth has to navigate through them and the people get shot and the torches go out. And so all these little lights as we've seen throughout the rest of the film represent people and they're more direct here, but just the same when you're Mm -hmm. seeing the information course through computers and the lights blink in the fast, all these things represent a, a network of people that are all connected in a larger way. Hmm. Um, so it's the slowest action movie. Well, the second slowest, given what else is on this list of the year. Um, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I will also recommend in that same vein of uh, Victoria and Sicario.
1: Hell yes to one of those. Oh, yeah. You didn't like Sicario. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Didn't like Sicario. But, but Victoria is yeah, Victoria's wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. It was uh, one of my BP's nominees for best score, actually. But, not uh, cinematography? I didn't do it either. But. Uh, no, I didn't do, do that. But, um, yeah, Victoria's awesome.
2: Did we have a best score category? I might not have submitted something for that. Uh, we did, and I believe you did. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um All right. Uh, number seven, Mia Hansen's Loves Eden. You either used to see Eden? I did nope. not see Eden. Oh, man, you missed out on... What I would say is one of the best films of the year. Um, <laughs> I
1: talked about this a bit. But is this also a 2014... Technically, uh, yes. It I, was at AFI Fest 2014, yeah, right?
2: which is where I first saw it. Okay. Um, so, like her, the film that she made before this called Goodbye First Love, it, this is sort of an intimate epic. Uh, that film took place over about 12 years. This one takes place over 20 as this guy who starts as a teenager ends in his mid-30s, tries to make a career as a DJ. And... He finds you know momentary success enough to keep him going, but it is essentially about the story of you know kind of like inside lewin Davis' it's about the guy who fails at art from a commercial standpoint mm-hmm. um and it's just it's very it's very sad in many ways, and I certainly relate to his struggle a lot of being addicted to a certain form of artistic expression that doesn't really get any place but um the way she builds the story of giving him these highs and where they can't recognize the good times because he's spending so much money trying to just main, keep things afloat. And he falls in and out of love with this girl and the relationships he eventually attaches himself to. They don't really understand everything he's been through. So by the time he has these breakdowns, there's no way for him to communicate these things. And I me, mean, Hansen, loved such a good job uh, doing these things so subtly and just so uh, carefully that it's enough for the audience to kind of feel where the character's at, but not, uh, not so much that they're like pronouncing everything. Um, and she doesn't, she does this neat thing where she, none of the characters really like visibly age, like he'll grow a bit of a goatee, but it's played by a guy in his mid twenties. and She doesn't try to hide that in any way, which I find very refreshing in the age of like constant, uh, makeup Academy contenders trying to subtly age their characters along the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just thought it was a wonderful
1: movie. Um, I didn't see it um, yeah but speaking of 2014 movies about people failing at art <laughs> um, did you see Frank did you like Frank I didn't like Frank okay I liked it a lot yeah
2: I, I see where people are coming from but I just I just couldn't go with it Um, but I'll also recommend along the same lines Eden uh, Joy which is the other side of the capitalism <laughs> uh, pursuit of happiness Um, but which I think really is quite special
1: alright I love Joy now, now I'm in the middle it's great yeah. now she was on the other foot alright <laughs>
2: Uh, number six, which I've already gone at length. So I don't have to talk about two more is by the sea by Angelina Jolie Pitt. Mm, Um, and listeners can get back at my review or the AFI episode for more on that. But I just think it's so smartly directed and so, uh, emotionally fulfilling. And, uh, there's, it's just so, I can't believe a major studio put it out. I can't believe a major star wrote and directed and starred in it. Um, but it, it's just suffused with all kinds of doubt and contradictions and people can be all sorts of things at once. And it's rare for a movie of any size to acknowledge that. Um, so I was particularly delighted that something was done, something, so it's a grand scale. Um, along those lines, I'll recommend La Sapienza, which is another movie about crumbling marriage amidst beautiful places.
1: Hmm. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> you see this. So.
0: <laughs> no, I know. Just, just <laughs>
2: Tyler's grown
0: amused me. Here's the thing that gets me. Okay. It doesn't bother me. I'm not I'm not upset with it. It's more just a, an observation. Like a friend of I forget who it was a friend of mine on Facebook was uh talking about like why why do people focus more on the negative than the positive? And and I had this thought of uh, that negative is a lot easier to verbalize than positive. And so I feel like I see a lot more movies either actually watch them or i just see that they are out there a lot more movies about crumbling marriages and about like dysfunctional marriages than about successful marriages even even in a, in a movie where characters have been married a long time and seem to be somewhat happy the film will will often suggest tonally that there's something underneath that implies that they're actually quite lonely and sad and that sort of thing and while i recognize that that's where a lot of drama can come from part of me is just like one of the reasons I love joy is because it's about the American dream and it's not about how it's just going to fuck everybody. Uh, and right, it's but that's just, not a happy family. It's not a happy family, but it's about this one person. It's about individualism and in, in a number of senses, including, uh, within her family, uh, breaking you know this character breaking through and and believing in herself and believing in something positive and that kind of thing and it's weird i i mean i am a fairly cynical person but i am also uh at times kind of romantic and and i have a hard time like whether it be uh you know uh last year was it was last year or the year before i saw uh the weekend yeah And which I thought was a very, very good movie. And it, it winds up being somewhat positive about these characters, marriages, uh, marriage, but, uh, I don't know. There's just something as I get older. And I think as I get further into my own marriage, I just, I feel like I, I, I want, I like to be reminded that yes, there, there, there's tremendous good to be had in this institution. And something like by the sea is something that I was just like, and I, I, I condemn myself for feeling this way, uh, that I'm not inclined to see it because it's like, it's, it's going, it's not merely that it's going to depress me. I see plenty of depressing movies and I love them. Uh, it's that it's just going to defeat me.
2: Well, does that make sense? It does, but well, to a certain extent, you know, without like, I didn't want to give away the ending or anything, but it, it is about both of those movies are about marriages that ultimately survive. Okay. Um, and it, what I think is so mature about both of them is that it recognizes how far two people can fall and still come back from it. And without <clears throat> there's this, I mean, there's an incredible moment towards the end of, uh, by the sea where Angelina Jolie asks Brad pitch says, am I a bad person? And you expect him to be like, no, you're great. And he says sometimes, uh-huh. yeah," but that doesn't have to be, you know, the end of it in any way you know sometimes people are all kinds of things yeah and so it's about both of those movies are about people learning to connect and communicate more but yes i mean large parts of them are about how difficult that can be too. see and that and that (laughs) is encouraging to me just because at
0: least it's a realistic view as opposed to something in in that like it could sometimes the most you can hope for is survival maybe not uh you know thrival that's not the word um (laughs) You know, uh and there are times when when that is the case in, in life there are times you know Jen and I have talked about like having bad seasons yeah. in our marriage uh, and other times when things are going great and sometimes survival is the most you can hope for but at least there, there's it sounds like there's an acknowledgement that like yes but as long as both people are willing to bear with one another and, and have a realistic view of one another then they actually will be able to keep going as opposed to a film that I, that I own I enjoyed at the time but I feel I have no desire to go back to it which is Revolutionary Road uh, which is like Eh, fuck everyone (laughs) Fuck Americans, (laughs) fuck husbands, fuck wives Everybody's terrible And everybody's miserable all the time
1: My my whole thing is I go to the movies to escape So if Mm -hmm. I want to look at a happy, perfect marriage All I gotta do is look around me at my life (laughs) (laughs) Look around the place where I live I go see Revolutionary Road because it's Something yeah. new. Yeah. You want to see how the other half lives. Yeah, exactly. like the, the,
0: the more miserable people, <laughs> you know, the people who couldn't figure out the, the key to, to marital success like you have. Right. Exactly. So, the people who pick,
2: clearly <laughs> picked the wrong person. for the grace of God. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, um, I did also want to say on the topic of uh, portrait of capitalism and joy, uh, you know, I mean, I've Plenty of critiques about the capitalist system, and what I think Joy does so well is it acknowledges how thoroughly impossible it is that she attained any success. Yeah, she hits every roadblock, and she gets a number of very lucky breaks along the way. Yeah, that any that anybody could have not gotten. Yeah, um, and plenty so, of people have not. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, yes, her story is inspiring because she kept pushing, and she ultimately finds the exact key piece of information at the end that she needs to permanently succeed yeah um but it doesn't like have this very simplistic view where, or if you work hard you'll make it right you know
0: but it also doesn't say it's completely luck no absolutely. i think that's that's the other half and engaging in politics and then uh f- reading the uh tweets with the infuriating hashtag resist capitalism the other day uh made me want to murder everybody uh most of all including myself so i wouldn't have to read that anymore yes i realized i could have navigated away from it but um and so, and, and that's the thing is I think it ne- the acknowledgement on, on one side that like there is some luck involved and some people just aren't lucky. Uh, and then the acknowledgement on the other side is like, yeah, but there is also tremendous hard work. She could have said, I guess I'm just not lucky as so many of her people, as so many of her family were saying you should just acknowledge this and then go back to what you were. And it, it's a common, it's recognizing good luck when you see it and then, uh, capitalizing on that you know and and again i said american dream which i recognize (laughs) does incorporate capitalism but i was taught i'm talking specifically about the american dream uh, and not necessarily purely about capitalism there are movies about capitalism but i don't actually view it as
2: that I see which aspect of the American dream do you mean
0: just uh, the the hope the like, almost the the intangible emotional aspect uh, element of it okay um,
2: because the classical American dream is that like pick yourself up by your bootstraps
0: oh, and drive sure. right. through life yeah absolutely <laughs> and um, and this idea that like if you can what's that uh, that expression like make a better mousetrap or whatever it is right um, and that if you have an idea and you're willing to actually put the effort into it uh, to to make it a reality that it is possible. It might not necessarily be probable, but it is possible. And a lot of people say it's actually not possible, especially if you're from a working-class family. It's just not going to happen for you. Yeah, but
2: but this film also acknowledges the like systemic things that are preventing right. her success. The, right. you know, it's saying that the system is not set up to value better work. Because there's from all the way down to the hardware store who won't put her mop in the window, who's like this one guy running a hardware store. It's not like a big chain uh, to the fact that because she got some bad legal advice, you know, there's all these systems in place that could have prevented her from attaining success by simply making the better product. Oh, and and uh, oh, don't and don't
0: get me wrong if you want, which we're not talking. That's the thing. Joy isn't on, on your actual list. So we can if it's probably, the one you've seen, we can talk we, about we it. Can, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and w- we can move away from it if you want. But uh,
1: isn't that even the honorable mention of the thing you were talking yeah, about? Sorry, yeah, sorry. going back. That's that. fine.
0: Um, but the, uh, yeah. Well, and, and as I was watching it, one of the things, of course, you know, one of the things that I was just like, boy, it's like there are a lot of people that know how to work the system so that they come out on top. And then it all, it made me angry at them. But I also just like, well, there's a system to work maybe we could try to dismantling that a little bit. Uh, but that's just, uh, yeah, the capitalist system. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, just, <resist> <laughs> I disagree. Cause here's the, uh, f- and I know you're not actually putting that out there, but like, for example, I like in California it's, ha- it's a terrible place to start a business. And I'm not saying that like in the way that Rick Perry talks about it, but like, <laughs> like I, there was a billiard hall near my old place that I used to go to and it was open till 2am, which was great for me. Um, and I was talking to the guy and, uh, and he was talking about like, ah, yeah, we've been trying to put this place together for two years. And he's like, but there's uh, he's like, we had all the supplies, we had the employees, we, but there are so many permits we had and hoops we had to jump through and we had to pay so much money to just simply establish a business. And it's just like, ah, uh, this guy just wanted to start a pool hall. And wh- by the way, one that like had that where there was no drinking because he wanted it to be a positive place for the youth of the neighborhood <laughs> and just like, sorry, two years, fuck yourself. And I just, and it just bothers now, me all so the much. Youth have grown up. And now they've all grown up and gone to the strip club next door. <laughs> it was next door to it a strip club. <laughs> um, what talking about? And so, uh, yeah, it's right across from the, 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 the Regency Valley Plaza, yeah. And so, um, and so, sorry, I didn't mean to get so political, but I, I do feel like there's, there are certain things, uh, there are certain, laws and rules that seem to view the idea uh, a seem to view a new business or a new a new idea as something to be suspicious of uh and so it's like okay well we're kind of the gatekeepers we we're going to keep out the frauds and it's like and in the meantime the people that are sincere and actually do have a good idea uh it becomes more difficult for them as well and uh but anyway that's a political podcast because I could talk <laughs> longer about this because being married next to a small business, uh, being next married to, next to <laughs> I'm mar- oh, the people next to us. I'm married, but we're also next door to the small business owner. Uh, sorry, my office being next to that of a small business owner, who's uh, who's my wife, uh, has given me very strong opinions about this kind of thing. And it is a mixture of luck and. Salesmanship and uh, hard work and that kind of thing. So it's, there's so much about Joy that I, that I love. And I feel like it is optimistic while also being, I think, very realistic about how the system works uh, and in some cases doesn't.
2: Yeah. But anyway, sorry, we can move on. I apologize. It wasn't even on your top 10. I apologize. No, it's a great movie. It's worth talking about. Uh, so my number five is Melanie Laurent's Breathe, which I also talked about uh, for last year's AFI Fest. Um, is about a, a teenage girl who meets a new girl who transferred to her school and they become instant best friends and just connect on such a deep level. But then small divisions eventually throw them apart and their relationship becomes quite toxic and you know i've seen a lot of movies about being a teenager and usually it's about how awesome it is to be a teenager or or how dull it is to be a teenager uh this one is about kind of how scary it is to be a teenager Mm -hmm. and how little you understand of yourself and the people around you and how little you're able to communicate stuff that's wrong um you're just kind of lashing out at people randomly but you're not able to kind of not confront them, but just be honest about the things that they're doing that are troubling. Um, and she shoots it almost a million shoots it almost like a thriller. It has very, you know, kind of fixed cameras, uh, you get the feeling at times that there's stuff right around the corner, but it kind of adds this sense of like heightened paranoia that builds to what some have felt is a rather unbelievable conclusion, but which I think is perfectly in keeping with the, uh, extreme emotions the characters are feeling and which completely, not to use a pun or anything, but it left me breathless. Um, So yeah, Uh, it, it barely came out in theaters this year, but it is now available on Amazon. I cannot encourage people enough to check it out.
0: I do love stuff like that where like, just because you're not actually in danger of a werewolf or something (laughs) uh, about to rip your throat out doesn't mean you're not scared of just life and a film that chooses to take that tone. Like I was watching the, the, Recently, recently, recently the night, right? And Jane Eyre has always been like this, this gothic story, and that's. But when you actually look at the story beats. There's nothing necessary, like, there's nothing scary in the way that we as moviegoers define scary. There's plenty of stuff that's emotionally scary and emotionally oppressive and emotionally intimidating. And by playing that up, uh, and I've only seen two versions of it I saw the Kerry Fukunaga version and then uh, the uh, Robert Stevenson version. And both of them just play up just the how scary a new situation can be when you are out of your element and everybody else around you knows how things work. Yeah. Um, to the point where it's, it almost feels like, uh, and it's 1943. So it almost feels like it's borrowing a lot of imagery and a lot of tone from, you know, Dracula or Frankenstein or any of that. And so I did not know that that's what breathe was about. That's very interesting. Building on Amazon.
2: And it's only 90 minutes. I like Ooh, that. Yeah.
1: Like that.
0: Oh, David just perked up.
1: <laughs> I like a short sure movie. I do too. Even though we already talked about Beloved Sisters, which I think is like four hours long. Yeah, that's a long
2: movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so along those same lines, I'll also recommend. Tyler, have you seen The Mend? I have not. Because I can of all the movies I've seen this year, I think that one is the one I would recommend strongest to you because it's very much in your real house.
1: Mm, anytime, um, anytime you tell Tyler that he takes it the wrong way. No, I, I don't I try mean to. to do it's that. actually
2: like... <laughs> this is like not what I usually mean when Yeah, <laughs> because I know you're story and character that's all Tyler's about um, <laughs> have I said but, that on this show story, yeah. story and character specifically yeah you've yeah, said that okay. a lot and you usually use that as like an example of what people so assume you're all about yes but this one is also very like adventurous aesthetically in ways that I think you would respond to okay fair that enough. is why I'm recommending it to you all right um, and to the listeners as well and that is on Netflix um, but it's also about a toxic relationship and so is Mississippi Grind which is kind of an underappreciated movie I love Mississippi it's Grind it's great and what's interesting as
0: far as, uh, peek behind the curtain everybody, as far as BP's submissions you submitted Ryan Reynolds, I submitted Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. I thought and and both of them are, it's hard to separate the two because though they are so notably different, what's underneath is very much the same and I think they the characters recognize it in each other uh, even though it, it is executed in different ways.
2: Yeah, a um, lot of my choice came from me being such a Ryan Reynolds fan and being glad there's finally a movie worthy of his talents. Yeah, Are you... Interested in Deadpool? I'm interested in it, but so very wary of it. <laughs> are you, I forget, are you a Deadpool fan as far as the character? I uh, liked a couple comics when I was okay. 17 or so. <laughs> that's that, so that's the problem. <laughs> that is the perfect way to phrase it. Yeah.
1: Like, well, no, see, there's Deadpool is, I think, a very complex comic book character. It might be. I'm just saying, like. And when the right writer treats his story the right way, with it being sort of. Uh, tragically absurdist that he's so mm-hmm. insane that he kind of knows he's a character in a comic book and yeah. yet he still uh, experiences pain and loss and all that stuff um, and still makes it funny. Then it's done right. Whereas everything I'm seeing with this Deadpool movie seems like it's the wrong, cheap, easy way of doing Deadpool. But that could also be the way they're advertising. It, cause yeah. It's the easiest thing to get people to come see
2: like all that kind of metatextual stuff. Isn't exactly what's right. Fox advertising department's going to put out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And uh, part, I mean, I'm still going to see it because I'm curious and I think it'll be a conversation I want to be a part of. But and it comes uh, out in February. What else you got going exactly. on? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and also, there's going to those
1: ads, those uh, romantic comedy ads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were like, uh, no. Like, like website banners for Deadpool because it's coming out on, on Valentine's yeah, Day okay. or Valentine's Day weekend. And it just, it still is from the film, but it's like gauzy and like looks like. <laughs> and it has Ryan
2: Reynolds in it. So, yeah. yeah, so yeah. It,
1: except it says Deadpool. Yeah. Um,
2: I'm, uh, th- and this
0: is you know a button has been pushed from me at age seven uh i recognize i've seen the character colossus in other x-men movies <laughs> but I, we're seeing him in like broad daylight and i and the design that they have is not like this yeah. shiny chrome type metal it is this very dull uh mm-hmm. type of metal and uh and i like uh, i'm excited to see him represented yeah. on
2: film yeah i didn't even realize there were other x-men in the movie until i saw the trailer today before mm-hmm. 13 hours i'm i'm i would say i'm excited a lot of people are
0: excited but i think david i think you're right it's the way people sum up deadpool is very seldom the way what they say is just like that that's not what i was about the character. um yeah, but yeah he cusses so. and kills people exactly yeah. it's like, yeah. and he breaks the fourth wall it's super
2: awesome high five me i don't know who i'm talking yeah. about right now um okay definitely a guy who's still high-fiving um so yeah uh these top four in particular, I absolutely love every movie in my top 10, but these top four in particular, I've been constantly rearranging them. So they, the order could be changed by the time this goes up. But my number four, finally a movie you guys have seen. It's called room. I saw room. So <laughs> we that. all saw room. Yep. It's nominated for Oscars. Um, and, and, and babies. And babies. let's let's, keep our
0: eye on the prize here we've got branding to do
1: lenny abramson is finally done right by you yeah
2: (laughs) luckily maybe i didn't realize he was the guy who did frank when i went to see room in fact when i saw room i didn't even know what it was about oh Um, i somehow not by any sort of purposeful like star wars style spoiler dodging but i just never saw a trailer never read his plot synopsis i was just down for the latest brie larson movie um so yeah i I mean, the depth of emotion here is pretty incredible. I rarely cry at movies and I teared up many times during this. Mm. Um, And I think that central story, which could be so not only like it, it is pretty intense to watch, but it could be very exploitative almost and very sensationalistic. Yeah. But I think it keeps the focus so emotionally centered that it can almost be an allegory for the experience of being a young parent in general and the way you uh, at least from the young parents I've talked to, the way they feel life suddenly has escaped from them after the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when that scene where she's looking back at her yearbook and imagining where all her friends have gone and yeah. they didn't have, like I've heard people who have had young kids who haven't had as extreme circumstances as Brie Larson's character have expressed those exact same kind of emotions. Yeah. And so I think the fact that it can be so centered on the immediate conflicts, but keep the emotion so general and almost spiritual um, I think that's the real strength of the movie. Yeah. The, the scene,
0: I mean, there are a number of scenes that I, that I teared up a little bit, but the argument between Brie Larson and Joan Allen, it fe- I remember it like feeling frustrated, not, not, artistically, but feeling frustrated. It's like, why are you guys arguing as though what has happened has not happened? You're yeah. arguing like just a standard mom and her daughter. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> oh i like i'm I'm liking this yeah this is this is working out really well for me. I've always had a fascination with this uh type of story when when Jen and I moved from Chicago to here at the time there was this uh this kid Sean Hornbeck who had been kidnapped and held for many years in I believe the saint Louis area I don't remember okay. exactly hmm. uh and This other kid had gone missing, and as people were searching for him, they found the guy who had kidnapped him, and then this kid that had been missing for, like, eight years. And in the time that he had uh, grown, you know, he'd gone from a little kid to, like, a 15-year-old guy, and so then he's returned to his parents, and I remember just being like, what must this be like that not only— Is my child back, but it's not, it's arguable whether he's your child anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, in emotion, emotionally, those are pretty key years. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And just, and so like one thing that fascinated me is that this kid, Sean Hornbeck, the guy allowed him to like go into town Mm -hmm. and get stuff done. And so many people are like, why didn't you just run away? It's like when you, this guy had like a hold on him from a very early age, like I'm just going to kill your family if you run away. Yeah. And so. But it's stuff like the kid had a, a an eyebrow ring, uh, and it's just like that's such an odd thing that this kid still wanted, it still like does standard teenager stuff, and I found myself wondering, did his parents say, okay, first thing, you're going to lose that eyebrow <laughs> ring? And he's like, hey, uh, let's get, let's just for a moment, cut me some slack, and and room just got me thinking about that, like whether it be William H Macy's part or Joan Allen's part and just the way these characters are trying to get back into the life that they've lived and the amount of things that need to be actively ignored, uh, or at least we'll deal with this in a major way later. But right now we need to give the impression that everything is normal. Yeah. Um, which is why that one character, the, the name of the actor I've forgotten once again, but he was in the suite Hereafter. he is Joan Allen's husband. Yeah. His character is so key because he's the only one who, though he seemed to know Brie Larson when when she was younger, he doesn't. He's not so invested that he can't look at the kid or that he's arguing with Brie Larson. He can be what he needs to be, and so that scene where they're eating cereal together oh, yeah. and the scene with the dog is one of the things that made me tear up a little yeah. bit. And so there's just so much emotional complexity. like. It's I feel like it's such an honest film because it so often doesn't give us what we want or
2: what we expect. Well, and, and even that scene where uh, that character's introduced, he's kind of like coming out from the shadows. He has that long, crazy hair. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, right. this
1: doesn't look good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then he's like the totally decent guy. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll say what well, I'm going to say we can move on. But uh, I can't remember uh, what movie it was. It was short term 12, but a movie you and I, Scott, were disagreeing about. Okay. Um, because there's something that bothers me about certain movies that I don't think bothers you, which is when a movie takes a sort of naturalistic aesthetic approach, but then in- imposes sort of conventional story tropes right. on it. Always rubs me the wrong way. Room I love because it almost does the opposite. Because it's a very cinematic yeah. movie. It's 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 polished in a lot of its presentation without ever being, uh, you know, uh, disingenuous. But uh, uh, and yet everything that happens in it, even though it has kind of a high concept beginning that's not the people who haven't seen the movie who just know the premise that's not the whole movie yeah Yeah. it just sort of starts off with a high concept thing but everything that happens in it even though it unfolds as a story is so organic you know I feel like the characters make decisions that they really would make and then Lenny Abramson sort of finds the drama in that Mm -hmm. as opposed to imposing drama yeah do you know what I mean on characters which is more of a melodramatic take which I like (laughs) I like movies that look like melodramas and behave like them, but when they don't look like melodramas, I guess I'm putting melodramas in a bit of a ghetto. Oh, watch out. Here we go. Uh, And that's a callback. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Uh, And I do
0: love... Jacob Tremblay's performance. I like the way he's written. I love the way he plays him because this kid has experienced something that is very traumatic, but he doesn't know it's traumatic. Yeah. And so he's still responding like a kid, but he hasn't had the same experiences as other kids, but he still doesn't totally understand what's happening. It's like there's so much. They could, like, it would have been very easy to write him like. Haley Joel Osment from The Sixth Sense just that he's got this otherworldly understanding uh-huh. of things uh because he's been so traumatic uh, tra- uh, traumatized and um but like the kid's innocence but still a general distrust and and just the honesty of I'd say the writing but uh, that performance and just and and I'm sure Lenny Abramson's uh direction of him just like just be a kid that's that's what we need to do and and it speaks to like we want the escape to be this big, dramatic moment of triumph. That's what we want because that's what we understand intellectually it is. And we understand emotionally, this is a big deal, this escape. But then you realize, well, it's a six year old who is for the very first time in his life, seeing the actual world and seeing other people. And, and so all the stuff that I want, that I instinctively want from that moment is taken out because we're dealing with the actual ramifications of the story we've been told, not, uh, not the story we want to be told. And so we want the idea of, of the kid jumps out of the truck, sees, A a, a very large man is walking down the street and he's like, That guy kidnapped me. He's like, Well, not on my watch. And then he, (laughs) you know, that's what we want, but it's not that. Even to the point that because of the kid's long hair, everybody just assumes he's a girl. Like, even as far as that, it's just, it's never giving you, like, the characters don't know they're in a movie. They don't know that they're supposed to react a a very specific way. And, like, that scene I love precisely because it didn't give me what I wanted. And if it had, I would have been like, Well, I want it but that's not the story you're telling. And so it just so many opportunity. it had so many
2: opportunities to get things wrong and it never, I don't think it ever did. Well, even just putting the story from the kid's perspective could yeah. be like so dangerous and so easy to deny like the trauma of the story. Yeah. But, and I haven't read the book, but it feels like that could be a, such an easy problem for it to fall into because, the advantage of the movie is, yes, you're seeing it from his perspective, almost literally. So much of the camera is you know, kind of lower. They use those wide-angle lenses, so the world all yeah. seems much bigger. Um, but because you're always looking at Brie Larson, you're looking at Joan Allen, you're seeing the reality reflected back at you. Yeah. And I think that dynamic is very key to the film's success. All right.
1: All right, yeah, let's move we on. Still got three more to go. We can't. <laughs> we can't talk for twenty minutes about all of these.
2: Uh well, the next one you guys haven't seen, but real quickly on number four, <laughs> I also mentioned uh, two films that are great examples of dynamic uh, women's experiences: uh, The Intern, which really surprised me, and Mustang. I love Mustang. Yeah, I really recommend The Intern too. Uh, My mom saw it; it's a delightful modern movie. She liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So number three, I. Maybe you guys have seen this, but we'll see. Uh, Matthias Pinero's is the princess of France. No, I haven't. Mm -mm. There's no excuse for you now because it's an hour long and it's on Netflix. (laughs) Hour long? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Um, This is his sixth feature, though his entire filmography could be viewed inside of seven hours. Oh, wow. Um, Like I said, this one's an hour long. His previous film, also an hour long. Uh, The one before that was like 43 minutes. Um, So the guy makes short movies, but they're so filled with so many things. I mean, this is a film that opens on a broadcast of a symphony dedicated to a woman who we haven't yet met. Um, Then pans up to that woman yelling down at a soccer match, pans down to that soccer match at which they're just warming up. Eventually we see her join. So somehow in the actual production of the movie, she got down from that building and went around to join Mm -hmm. the soccer match. And we watch them just play soccer for a bit until eventually it's just one team all against her chasing her out of the soccer field. Hmm. But then she runs and watches a play for a few minutes. And then the movie is not even about her. It's about this guy uh, who went to Mexico for a year and is coming back to put on a production, a radio production of love's labor lost And it's about him. It kind of reflects the play itself in that it's about this guy who's trying to put work for for pleasure. He's been something of a ladies' man, but now he's just trying to focus on the work. And there's all these temptations around him. But while that story structure could just be like, look at all these hotties this guy has to get off his back, (laughs) um, it keeps the focus so spread out and the women are so central to the story almost as a collective, you know, you could get 35 minutes into the film and you're still not sure who everybody is at which point the movie is almost half over, um, or over half over. Um, but the way they, all these characters play off each other, the way the relationships come and go, and there's some level of deceit and some level of, uh, having affairs with each other and just, it's so playful and it just really gets the energy of being young, passionate, artistically minded and restlessly sexual. Um, it's rare for me to want to see a movie a second time that I feel like also needs a second viewing just to understand what was going on. Usually, that can be like, Oh, okay, I gotta, I guess I gotta see this cause it's kind of a chore, but this movie is so much fun, uh, so consistently and just has such a pure energy to it that I was just completely enraptured both times I saw it. You had me at restlessly sexual. <laughs> so did the movie. Which what? was, uh, in high
0: school, I was voted most likely to be restlessly sexual. Not yet restlessly sexual, but someday oh, okay.
1: you
2: will be.
0: Indeed,
1: yes. <laughs> what <laughs> uh, So, what country did you say this was from?
2: Uh, Argentina. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no follow-up.
1: No, I think I saw this movie.
2: Really? Did it open with an overhead shot of a
1: soccer match? Uh, maybe
2: not. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're thinking of the Queen of Versailles. I can understand why you would get mixed up.
1: <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Okay, okay. moving
2: on. <laughs> uh, it pairs well with Mistress America and a Mexican movie called Gueros. Hmm. Uh, Gueros is available on Netflix. I really recommend people to check it out. Um, number two. Number two. Ho Shao Shen's The Assassin.
1: Now you're talking my language.
2: (laughs) Uh, This movie is not talking most people's language because not only is it not in English, but it is very slow and impossible to understand. I've seen it twice. I'd love to see it a third time. And I really have no idea what goes on in it. Besides the central narrative. Yeah,
1: it doesn't seem particularly. It's it's a pretty
2: simple narrative, right? The central narrative, I think, is it's about this woman who's ordered an assassin who's ordered to kill a man who's her cousin and to whom she was once betrothed. And so it's about her navigating the morality of her position and what she really wants, who she really is. You put it very well in your review in terms of figuring out your identity apart from, I think you said like who you're told you are.
1: Okay, you had... that sounds like me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would remember, but maybe not. Um, but there's all these things. I mean, do you know who the woman in the mask is? Do you? Uh,
1: no, I don't No, I, Yeah. There, it, there's all it, these, you're saying. there's
2: all these details in the movie that I'm like, okay, I, I sure that can relate but just because I don't understand it doesn't mean they're also not a lot of fun. At least that's, uh, you know, it has a certain entertainment value just in being so beautiful to look at. And the fights are super cool. Yeah. And just to watch the lead actress Sh- Shu Chi just move across this world is super cool. And and it's, you know, I mean, it's a slow movie, but it can still be entertaining in its own way.
1: Yeah. I, uh, um, I, I guess you're right that it's, I feel like you're almost underselling it by saying it's fun to look at. I found it 100% entrancing to look at. Like it's the kind of movie where, uh, when it was over, you could have told me it was four hours long or you could have told me right. it was 45 minutes. And I, either one I kind of would have bought because I felt like I just went into some sort of weird chamber and <laughs> was completely enveloped in this film for however long it took. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's a it's like a I guess it casts a spell. Yeah, for sure. In that way. Yeah. Um, as we discussed on a past
2: episode, I went through most of Ho Shao Shen's films this year. And so this was a really wonderful way to cap off the year. And I'm really glad this is the first of his to get kind of mass US distribution. I think it comes out on Blu-ray next month. Um, so, yeah, it's a wonderful, amazing movie yeah, nominated I, for two. <laughs>
1: BP awards, including best right.
2: foreign film and best director. That's more BPs than Oscars.
1: So we got it yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll say this: uh, I didn't. I didn't see as many Hu films uh, as you did this year, but I did see the Puppet Master, mm-hmm. which we talked about. We we were there together. Um, I mean, we didn't arrive together. We were at the same <laughs> screening. Um, we had fun in those chairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> inside joke. Um, and I remember talking about. Oh, I was. I'm surprised at how populist and accessible the puppet master is and now he gets this film that's with you know, like you're saying his first like mass U.S. Yeah. release that is the opposite of populist and accessible
2: it has an accessible hook um right
1: but it, you have d- to like i you couldn't just recommend this to your co-workers like it's oh, no. another like you know uh, martial arts movie no know? it's just funny have you ever seen the trailer for it uh, no, because it definitely sells it like an action movie <laughs> and the distributor picked
2: it up. Usually distributes those kind of like modern Wuxim martial arts movies. Yeah. And so they picked, they bought this site unseen. And so their press releases are like, this is a little different than what we normally put out, but it's still good. You guys should see it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I loved it. The, the douchebag behind me at the screening Hey, Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Uh I was mostly
2: distracted by I was sitting next to an older gentleman who was constantly just like ruffling his hands ever so slightly uh-huh. and just <laughs> taking tiny sips of like some soda.
1: Yeah, it's like it's the it's the movie's so quiet yeah, that, I, that you anything is kind of like of uh, of water. I think my my wife brought like a um like a protein bar or like health bar oh, yeah. type thing. And she tends to bring those to screenings. Um and as soon as there's a loud enough part, she'll just yeah. like yeah. open it. And there was like she went hungry. <laughs> she could not open this <laughs> Oh, good this for thing. her. Uh, yeah. The loudest part was the drive home. <laughs> I assume. Um, all right. Before you don't ever mention, okay, the Princess okay. of France, which I did not see. Okay. But it sounded so familiar to me. Yeah. I saw Matthias Pinero's last film. Oh, Viola. Viola. Yeah. That's why it sounds so familiar to me. I liked that. That's yeah, I also re- only about an hour long. Yeah. I need to
2: revisit it. I remember the ending of that movie being like, Utterly amazing, and the rest of it I couldn't quite get
1: with. <laughs> um, but I'm really eager to revisit it. All right. Uh, do you have honorable mentions for The Assassin? Yeah,
2: Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Another film, another beautiful film about a woman that uh, navigating the morality of her position in life.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, it's odd that you say that's what it's about. Most people would say it is not. But she is Rebecca Ferguson, right? Yeah. Uh, she is kind of the the breakout of that movie. Like an, like. Sorry, because I just tabulated the the BPS, it's on my mind, and a lot of people submitted her for supporting actress, oh, I'd and then some her for people, lead. some people submitted yeah. her for lead, um, and uh, and it's I feel like it's pretty rare for anybody other than Tom Cruise uh, to come out of a Mission Impossible film being remembered unless it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman as a villain yeah. you know that's that's a different thing um they're competing for different types of spotlight. Ex- exactly and so for her to be sort of the the breakout star and a i would say a co-lead yeah. i feel like is is a testament to Christopher McQuarrie um and her performance and it's uh and it's interesting because well, we know what to expect from Ethan Hunt. We don't know what to expect from this this woman, and the fact that she's so torn on what to do makes her perpetually interesting.
2: Yeah, and she's because she's introduced as kind of like a is she good guy or bad guy right. kind of thing, and but the film only plays with that so much. I think the performance is so much more captivating than just that simple yeah. doubt that we get at the beginning. Even I think that's dispelled fairly quickly. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's I've seen it twice. Yeah, it's dispelled
0: to a... The question of, is she a good guy or bad guy, is dispelled. What is not is, well, she's a good person, but she's trapped. So what is she willing to yeah, do? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a, so that's a very different question, and that one remains for a good portion of
2: the film. As it should. It's a much more interesting conflict. But yeah, I mean, just the moment she showed up on screen, I was just like, who what where did where does she come from why don't we know about her and yeah i mean she utterly captivated me throughout the entire movie even though i mean you might say that's not what the movie's about but to me that central conflict was so strong and her presence was so powerful that well she's the, she's kind of the only one with an arc yeah you know ethan hunt stopped having
0: an arc uh, in the <laughs> third film yeah um and now it's just, how awesome can I be? Yeah. The answer, by the way, is still pretty oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, that pipe thing, when he, uh, when he is changing oh, the pipe yeah. and he gets loose, like I saw a critic screening and people cheered at the end of it yeah. and people tend not to cheer during critic screenings. depends on the movie. They can It be depends on the pipe. Yeah. 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 And so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, listeners, if you haven't seen mission impossible rogue nation, you owe it to yourself to see it
2: in the world and the world. Save the world. So, exactly. So
1: that's me. Oh
2: yeah. 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 You probably got the. Did you get the screener from Paramount? I don't. Uh, maybe I don't remember if I oh, got that screener. We got it via email, and they sent us like a code for. Uh, oh okay. a Voodoo thing. Yeah. Okay. That's not the best way to watch that movie. You got to watch it uh, on your TV screen. If you, you can't watch it on your TV you screen for Voodoo.
1: Computer on your TV screen. Well, I just have a Roku. Oh okay.
2: All yeah. right. That's right. I forget that
1: I have a smart Blu-ray player, but also I have this thing called an HDMI cable. So I can hook my laptop up top <laughs> but of my TV.
2: The quality you lose. I, some, it depends on the streaming service, but some were great and some are kind of jittery and weird. And yeah, this one needs to be smooth. Okay. Hey, listeners and people in the, uh, in the room right
0: now, here's an issue that I have. Okay. Uh, Jen and I bought an Apple TV, plugged it in to our TV and the TV is plugged into a soundbar. bar. Uh, and anything we watch on the Apple TV will have an audio lag. Uh, and what's more is our Blu ray player, which does not have an audio lag, once the, uh, and it is also plugged into the TV in a separate HDMI uh, channel or whatever you wanna call it. Um, once I plugged in that Apple TV, not only was there an audio lag for the Apple TV, the Blu ray player started having an audio yeah, lag as well. The minute I unplugged the Apple TV, Blu ray player's fine. And so I've looked online. I've tried uh, to I tried screwing with the Apple TV with my TV and with my sound bar. Nothing seems to work except to unplug my Apple TV from my from my television, which you is keep, I, I don't know what the issue is. You can't change because some some sound systems you can change the lag. Uh, yeah, I tried it. Okay, and and what's it, it basically? <laughs> it effectively resets everything, so it's synced mm. up again, and then in about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, and before you know it, it's you know ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, it's very
2: frustrating. Wow, get a so. Roku. That's what that's my solution.
0: <laughs> and we had a Roku for a while, and that works, and that worked fine. But yeah. uh, we we liked our uh, we liked our we like our Apple TV. If only it would work. Yeah, it's very frustrating. So, listeners, if you have an idea, I have a Samsung TV and a Samsung sound bar. Uh, so, if you
1: have an idea of what might be the issue, Tyler at BattleshipRetention I'm very angry. <laughs> well here's the, the, I, that's why I'm a, I'm a Sony man through and through because mm. I have a Sony TV Sony soundbar and a Sony Blu-ray player with you know Netflix and mm-hmm. uh, Hulu and Amazon and all that yeah. so I have no problems it all works I literally hit on once and everything comes on. <laughs> you click uh, on the movie once because you got to see it. Yeah, got <laughs> to see it twice. That's, that's how I started my every day. Yeah, watch once. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I get up at three thirty in the morning. <laughs> <and> watch once, <laughs> and
0: every day starts out uh, is great. Yeah, um,
1: but yeah. So sorry. H- how did we get on that? I forget. Yeah, who the hell knows? Oh well. Um, okay, moving on. We were talking about watching Rogue Nation online. Oh, that's right. All right. Uh, honorable mentions for Rogue Nation. <laughs> That was the honorable mention. Oh, okay. That <laughs> uh, was the honorable mention for uh, The Assassin. The Assassin, oh, yeah. So Rogue Nation is not your number two uh, film of the year. The Assassin is number two. Is number two. But here's the thing. With all of these honorable mentions, you can basically just swap them out, right? That's the idea?
2: There are some... Ex- that would be a tie, frankly. If we allowed okay. ties, that would be a tie. Okay.
1: Well, I'm so excited to find out what Scott's number one movie of the year is. Is it going to be... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I like. I I'm trying you were to think,
2: launching into a whole thing here.
1: I'm trying to think of something that it like obviously wouldn't be, but then everything I think of is like, well, maybe it is. You never know.
2: Yeah, uh, it's hard to say. All
1: right, so um, 99 well, Homes. I'm guessing it's your number one film <laughs> here. Um,
2: I'll mention the honorable mention first, just so we can focus on the greatness of oh, the actual first it. choice. Let's see yeah. if I
1: can guess the number one. Oh, this will be Aha. fun. Yeah, but mention. don't say it. Yeah, don't say it.
2: Right, the honorable mention uh, is 45 years. And the reason it's tied to the
1: number one is based off a perfection of... Oh, I thought it was because there's a number in the title and I was right about it being 99 homes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: no, just the perfection of the director order choices that nevertheless
1: don't stifle the human drama. Okay, well, I loved 45 Years. It's great. Um, um, and I, I want to do a... Uh, Sort of like the the slash film does those slash film cast does like the spoiler section at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like I want to talk about the end of Forty Five Years with everyone that is that I know who has seen it because I, I loved it and my wife loved it, but we have completely like divergent interpretations of where that story is going once like after the movie. When I go ends. back and forth on that very subject constantly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really want to talk. I like talking to people about Forty Five Years. <laughs> I got to see it so that you and I can talk about it and uh,
2: compare
0: interpretations. Yeah. I have a theory as to what your number one is. No, I think it's Carol. It is. All right.
2: <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, yeah. As I mentioned, the AFI episode, this was a film that I needed to see a second time. And once I did, I was like, oh, now I understand everything about the world. Um, I, I certainly love it for all the reasons people are saying. I think it's a great love story. I think it's impeccably directed. Beautiful to look at. I think Rooney Mara's best performance to date. Um, is in it. Uh, Cate Blanchett is wonderful. Every supporting character feels like their own world. Uh, I've been especially attached to Jake Lacey of late um, in the movie because he is completely clueless, but kind of beautifully. So, and the film never feels like he has to be like the face of misogyny. He can just be like a little bit of a dunce in this regard Mm -hmm. because he has no experience and has no reason to expect that this is where his relationship is going. Um, But the central story is just so wonderfully told it has that sense of like actually I was talking about with breathe. There's a sense of paranoia about it. It gets into the way new love can be a little scary and can be, and you're constantly reading what people are secretly thinking as you're looking across from them and you're like, is she just as into this as I am? Um, and it has just so many quiet moments of, uh, are moving in weird ways. The one that I attached to right away for some reason is the part where Carol's letter is being read in voiceover and Rooney Margo's by the side of the road to throw up. I have no idea why, but that moment just like moves me, uh, to all ends. Um, but I also think that it has a certain dynamic that I haven't seen a lot of people discuss. And I wonder if I'm just crazy here. Um, but it never totally like denies that, uh, Carol's motivations may be impure, um, she kind of gets into the relationship from like the mode of almost a predatory sense of like yeah. this yeah. is this is a hot young thing, I'm in need of some escape, let's go here. And though her though the depth of her feeling grows from there, I think there's something about her look in that final scene that is a little bit like things have worked out for Carol.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> I would love if that was actually the last <laughs> line. She's like, Well, well and looks right at the camera. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, I kind can't. Of the, the, the the frame freezes. A pair of sunglasses dropped on her <laughs> face. Deal with it. Roll credits. And then it goes into the song from uh, CSI Miami.
2: <laughs> um, does that reading jive with you guys at all? Do you yes. see where I'm coming from?
1: Yeah, and I actually want to watch it again with that in mind because I remember. I mean, you, you're talking, especially early on. You were saying, but like that when when Carol takes Therese to lunch, it it does feel like if this were an older man. Oh yeah. yeah. Is, is tomorrow, is, is this would be an unsettling like, scene.
2: Yeah. I mean, every one of their early interactions is Carol's constantly like, well, come to lunch with me, come to my house. And you're like, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Plus <laughs> Kate Blanchett just like has like, a, 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 like she has like resting intense face yes. where I feel like <laughs> even like not even in the movie, just like when she's like watching when she's on, on camera at the golden globes, I'm like, if Kate Blanchett were looking at me, I would be half convinced she was plotting my murder. <laughs> she just has a very intense look. Yeah.
0: Last week,
1: I believe we were talking about Carol, and I made
0: just an offhand comparison to the performance <laughs> to Norman Desmond. Mm-hmm. Since saying that, I've realized well, it's more than just the performance. Like, the nature of the character is a little bit Norman, De- Norma Desmond-esque in the sense that it's just, I just picture, uh, honestly, like that spider in a web kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is, come, like, come to lunch... Now you're coming to my house. Now we're going on a trip. You will be brought into
2: my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming to your house. Yeah, we you're don't learn my house. very much about Trez at all, which yeah. is interesting because she was the main character of the novel and most of Carol's story in the movie was added for the movie. Huh. Um, hmm. But we don't know anything that much about Trez's background at all. Yeah,
0: Yeah. And it's just, and so it definitely seemed predatory early on. And I remember thinking like, this does not seem like a love story to me. And I think, but as it goes along and I, and I'm somebody that I didn't really love the movie that much, but one of the conclusions that I came to was I need to watch it again. Um, and so by the, uh, maybe not by the end, but along the way, it almost seems as though, uh, Carol herself is kind of surprised by how much she's, yes, for sure. Involved in, in this young woman's life. and, is trying to kind of figure that out for herself. Like, okay, so wait, what, where am I going to put this woman in my life and in both logistically and emotionally? And I feel like that is the, that's the real beauty of cate blanchett's performance which i actually did not submit for the piece, <laughs> but i did submit Rooney mara who i thought also did a really wonderful job but like but there is something special about cate blanchett's performance i wonder if a lot of people are focusing so much on like the way that she what she does with her voice and the way she carries herself but i think underneath there's it, she's in complete control and then i think there's a certain degree of fear uh underneath in carol where it's just like oh this was not the plan and like you said the idea of falling in love and the idea of like this was not the plan and now i can't get this person out of my head
2: well even the way she asks trez to live with her she's like but i don't suppose you would want to do that she's yeah whereas before she'd been like very much like well naturally you'll come to my house and naturally we'll go on this trip and now she's on her guard a little bit more yeah and I, i think even the decision she makes to uh you know, not be as involved in her child's life, you know, it, the film leaves room for you to object to that and wonder if that's the right decision for her to be making morally speaking. Yeah. Um, while still exploring the reasons she would go to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the things that that kept me
0: from embracing it as a love story is that when it's over, I recognize that the characters think this is a good thing. But the movie's still kind of on the fence. It's mostly on board, but it's still a little bit reserved and, and and at a distance and and I'm sure that's the point of it. And so maybe maybe my issue has more to do with the way people are talking about the film than the film itself. Yeah, they're so. I think people are so eager to talk about it as like, oh, it's like the, honestly, like Brokeback Mountain, like it's these guys who are who are attracted to each other in an environment and in a time when that is very risky. And so we instinctively are rooting for them. And in the same way, it's a very similar thing with Carol. And I think people are very eager to, to be rooting for them. And I think Carol, and I think this speaks to Todd Haynes as a filmmaker. Um, and I think the actors getting on board with the tone that he's trying to strike literally everything, I guess (laughs) cinematography, the music, um, that is just like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna just hand people a good love story we're not, we're not going to make it as simple as that. These are complex characters who can be very selfish at times. And Carol especially likes having things her own way. And so this has to be, this is a love story that has to be earned. And even once it is earned, it is still not a guarantee. And that is a thing that I do like about it. Just this kind of intangible tone. Uh, it's, You know, we uh, we've talked about something like The Revenant or Mad Max being a a, an experiential film. Uh,
2: I think Carol is that as well. It has elements of that, but I think it's I mean, I think it has more of a remove that lets you draw certain conclusions. I mean, I I love Mad Max. I do not like The Revenant, but I I love Mad Max. But it Mm -hmm. is very. I mean, insistent on a, oh, sure. a certain way of experiencing it. Whereas I think you can experience Carol any number of ways. And I think that dynamic is central to why I think it's so good. I guess but, what I mean uh,
0: is I feel like it draws, Carol draws me into its world. And David, you were talking about this. Carol draws me into its world just as much as Mad Max or the, or the Revenant or any other film that, that creates a world from, from seemingly from whole cloth and then brings me into it. Carol, it's a world that we recognize, but it's so complete.
2: Yeah. That, and I think, I I think it's vision of the fifties is different than we've normally seen, even from fifties movies. Yeah. Um, there's just the fact that nobody is like a lesbian. (laughs) What's that? Yes. Um, everyone like understands that this is a thing people do. And like I was saying with Jake Lacy's character, like it doesn't feel the need to make these bad guys, especially, uh, Kyle Chandler's character who could be, so much more extreme than he is. Yeah. But you understand like how difficult it is to lose your wife and lose the person that you thought you could count on. Yeah. And just, it has all these different layers and angles to it that you can approach the movie from. Um, so I get where you're coming from where you could feel like you could step into the world because it Mm -hmm. is so well built. Yeah. But I think the world is so dynamic that the way of experiencing it is more complex. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have much more to add, but I do want to talk more about that experiential experiential stepping into the world thing because, uh, and I, and I think I, Talked about this in my um, in my review. It's such a fully constructed world, even if it isn't a 15, 1952 we're used to, or even if it is, I wouldn't know. I wasn't eleven in 1952. <laughs> even if it isn't realistic, it does feel so tactile. Yeah, you know, I can feel like the way like I can feel like Teresa's like the way her buttons clasp, or the way that her yeah. like you know clothes or hat sits on her head, or whatever. Like it all seems uh, like I could reach out and touch it. Like I understand whatever. Whatever fabric uh, I'm talking a lot about clothes, but whatever.
2: <laughs> well, um, even just the way people I mean, like the guy, the way people talk to each other and interact, even as something small as the guy who's handing out the Santa hats. Who I can't remember what the refrain is. Like compliments of the management. Uh,
1: yeah. From the uh, what is it? Uh, compliments of the season from the management. Yeah. Yeah. Compliments of the season from the management. <laughs> I love that. There's
2: something that's like robotic about it, but also kind of like, well, I got to get through the day, you know. Yeah. There's yeah. all these little touches
1: that kind of add to the world. And there's also that's an, uh, an outdated phrasing. Compliments of the season. We yeah. don't say that. anymore. Yeah. But that is a, yeah yeah and uh, and then i
0: I did enjoy the salesman who turns out to be something more um, yeah played by uh the Riddler <laughs> um, but it just the, the 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 role that he plays that's the thing there's also this strange element that is very that's very melodramatic and and I don't mean that in a negative way uh, like a certain intrigue like a gun is introduced, yeah. And isn't that an odd choice for this type of film?
2: Well, it heightens that sort of paranoia that I was talking about and is very in keeping with Patricia Highsmith who wrote the novel. Right. um, And which keeps it, you know, keeps you on your toes and it's not like that element isn't played in like a, again, like everyone in the 50s is so gay bashing. It's just like, it's an element that almost feels like psychological or it feels bigger than just like any small, like political thing. Yeah. And I think
0: that's the, any film and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call Carol an issue film, but it could have been. Yes. They could have turned it into that, but that is as the case with any issue film that is actually good. They're leading with character. They're leading yeah. with story and the world building. They're leading with the art and the specificity rather than try to have Carol be a stand in for something right. larger.
1: Like, yeah, like all and that in doing so with it.
0: Yeah. And in doing so, it winds up being a much more powerful issue film than one that is leading with its yeah. issue.
1: Yeah. You talk about that, that character who turns out to be something else um, where that goes in the motel the fact that the preceding scenes are what I like—no, like hyperbole at all—like considered one of the like most beautiful sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. The fact that that follows it feels like such a betrayal.
2: Yeah, that, for sure. Uh,
1: that it, be, like, whether it's an issue film or not, you feel that that rage. You feel stoked and galvanized by how how they must feel. And yet, <laughs> even in that scene, it again, it
0: would have been easy for the, the character that they are now confronting, it would have been easy to write him as particularly, yes, he has a job to do,
2: but he's also disgusted at this idea. <laughs> that, that's what I mean by and like turning don't. it into like a gay bashing yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 He's, he is, he puts himself out there as strictly professional, but he's, he definitely kind of enjoys his job, you know? Yeah. But without being like a prurient thing, yeah. like getting off on it. Um, he'd be, a, he'd be a pretty good Norman Bates that actor. Yeah. And that sex already scene got one. <laughs> he's on TV it's that uh, Freddie Highmore? From Neverland. you know what yeah. let's just swap him out one will play the Riddler <laughs> one will play Norman Bates and see if anyone notices um, but that sex scene you were mentioning is so powerful that the characters become pretty much separated from most of the rest of the movie but you mm-hmm. still feel that right. connection between right. them
1: yeah. well this is fun good is there anything else about 2015 you wanted to point out before we uh, I mean there are like 30
2: other movies I can mention, so it's not worth it. But I just think any way you look, uh, you had a lot of good stuff to celebrate.
1: Any major... Uh, I, you know what? I was going to ask them, but I want to go out on a sour note. I want to go out on a positive note. Right. Carol, it's great. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at battleshippretention.com That's where reviews of a lot of the movies that we talked about today um, uh, can be found. You can also find our podcast and all the other podcasts uh, in the BP fleet there. You can email me at David at com or email Tyler at Tyler at com. You can follow me on Twitter at pretension Follow Tyler at TylerPretention. Now, you have another podcast, Tyler. I believe it's called More Than One Lesson. That's true. What's and going on? By the time this goes up, uh, there'll be an episode about uh, Tom McCarthy's
0: Spotlight. Uh, and then the week before that, we recorded about Steve Jobs. So very current films.
1: Okay. Um, we are, My other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. We're recording so far out that I don't actually know yeah. um, what we'll be talking about. Uh, but the previous episode, we talked about two X-Files episodes. Oh. Um, the the Peter Boyle one and a different one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's us. Scott, where can people find you and your work on the Internet? I did think of one more thing I want to say about this year.
2: Okay. I, I dissed on the Revenant earlier, but uh, that's exemplary of a movie that even though I didn't like was going for something and good on it for it. And there are tons of movies like that this year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, good on this year. Um, as for me online uh, at Rail of Tomorrow on Twitter. Uh, battleship retention for writing, at Criterion Cast for other writing, and some more podcasting. We're but
1: Battleship retention first. First sure. and foremost. An Are you position. the editor at large over there?
2: Well, I am a host of a podcast over there.
1: Mm. <laughs> Look, Fair enough. I've been hosting the podcast for nine years. It doesn't. <laughs> There's no great shakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: um, on that podcast, I mentioned we'll be talking about the Flowers of St. Francis next um and then i've I'll, seen
1: that movie it's a good movie yeah when are you gonna start having guests on it <laughs> mm, that's a good question <laughs> that is a good question although well, i haven't seen florida st francis for almost 10 years i saw it at the billy Wilder theater oh nice man i would love to see that in the theater
2: yeah um what was i gonna say oh yeah i'm also covering sundance for a cast um where we'll all be going and bunking together which i'm sure yeah. won't cause any friction at all <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah uh, well, I, I mean, forgot about that part of it. My I, girlfriend said she wants just a live feed of just the breakdown of society that takes place within <laughs> those walls. I had Tyler and I
1: lived together and we never once had any arguments. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I want to tell stories. We've I, told stories. Have I told the story when you called me a son of a bitch? Yes. Okay. Uh, Did we tell the story about when you threw a popcorn bowl across the, uh, across the room? Yeah. In okay. an argument over what <laughs> memento and Moholland drive. <laughs> Uh, getting um, independent Spirit Award nominations, yeah, yeah, that was what we were arguing about. Yeah, and I uh,
0: about about five minutes before people were supposed to show up to our house. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh,
1: yeah, I it like does. that. Yeah, these. Uh, I wish we had some more stories where you look bad, but um, <laughs> they don't exist. Yeah. It, like when you called me a son of a bitch, I had it coming. <laughs> 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 all right.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm a very reasoned, moderate person. Sure. Yeah. You know. that, that
1: was definitely. Uh, true. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks. Thanks at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.